Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Welcome everybody. Good afternoon. It's Thursday afternoon and, uh, you know, it's been a long time since we were together on a Thursday afternoon. It's quite incredible how the time flies if you are not paying attention. Uh, you know, the joke that's going around about how last year was January, February, and then, whoop, I don't know, some kind of a blur, and it was the end of the year. Somewhere in that blur, this show also got a little bit blurred, so it's been a while between December holidays, some technical difficulties that we had. Uh, man, it's good to be back. So I hope that uh, I hope that you're listening, I hope you're thinking, I hope you've, uh, a lot's happened, a lot's happened since we were last together. Whether it was your migration away from WhatsApp, don't think that really happened. There was a lot of talk. I must be honest. I was pretty convinced that people were going to up and move. But I think uh, Chai FM was well ahead of the game because we already had a Telegram account set up long before most people even knew what Telegram is. And, of course, it's something that you can use to message 0618951019 if you've got any comments or questions or insights. Throughout the course of the show, you can always use the good old-fashioned 34519 SMS line. And for the people who love social media, there is at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. What else has been happening since we were last together on air? Well, very sad news. And in fact, last week, when it was closer, it was uh, fresher news. I wanted to make mention of DJ Flo, who here at the station we're going to sorely miss. Always, always brought some cheer to the station smiley face and a cheerful voice uh, the voice that i was usually uh, during lockdown that was the voice i'd always hear just before we'd go on air so uh, real sad story that and a real loss and we extend condolences to his family and to the high fm family and what else has been happening since we were last together? Well, I suppose more than anything else, COVID, COVID, and more COVID. That's all we talk about most of the time. The impact, lockdown, should there be a lockdown? Shouldn't there be? Should the schools go back? Shouldn't they go back? Should we have opened the schools? Shouldn't we? You know, like that's how it is. Everybody seems to be talking about all of that kind of thing at the moment. So uh, somehow in all of this conversation, there seems to be a, a developing tension uh, on various levels. We look at some of the things that happened during the course of the December holidays and some of the behavior of some people uh, in the community. And there seems to be this, this just this growing tension and uh, people being quick to criticize, to single people out, to single groups out and, uh, you know, to say, you're wrong. The way you're behaving is wrong and it's despicable. And some of the language that's doing the rounds about those who are perhaps a little different to us or belong to a different group to what we belong to. I think it's concerning. I think it might be a virus in its own right, this virus of distrust. I remember as a child, as I'm sure you do, being brought up, don't talk to strangers, don't trust strangers. And it seems that we're developing into a society that says, don't trust friends, don't trust the people who used to be so much a part of your circle. It's very easy to breed that kind of mistrust. It's very easy to breed that kind of uh, looking at people through all kinds of critical eyes. I think we have to be really careful about that. That's, that's certainly one thing that has popped up, 
I think more in the last few months. If you've got a thought on that, you've got a comment on that, um, how you feel as Jewish people we should behave during a time like this, uh, where we're trying to find the balance between, on the one hand, looking after people's physical safety, on the other hand, looking after people's social safety, that nobody becomes pariah. And of course we know that there are laws about how we're supposed to speak to other people and how we're supposed to speak about other people. How does it all work at a time like this? What are the priorities? At which point can you excuse exposing somebody for the sake of protecting the community? And at what point is exposing somebody just another form of horrible Loshan horror? And it doesn't actually help, especially when it's after the fact. I think these are hard-hitting questions that we have to ask ourselves as individuals and as a community. So if you do have a view on that, either from a personal perspective or a Jewish perspective, I'd, I'd really be interested to hear 34519 on the SMS line or 0618951019. I'm pretty sure many more people have Telegram today than they had at the end of 2020. So that's certainly a conversation to have. Another thing I think that's playing on many people's minds, uh, certainly playing on my mind, is what is worse than a person who is an absolute fool, right? <laughs> What's worse than an idiot? What's worse is when intelligent people do idiotic things. And that seems to be a lot of that around as well. Where you're kind of left scratching your head and thinking, I don't get it. Surely these are intelligent people. Surely these are people who know how to think. They spend a large portion of their time in academic pursuits. And yet their behavior does not seem to be intelligent behavior. I think that that's also something that's playing on us. It's all part of this big mix. The big mix about who's right and who's wrong. Are we right to be shutting and shattering and you know locking everything up and uh, and going on some kind of COVID hunt to catch out the people who are not compliant? Or are we supposed to respect individuals and their opinions? It's hard because you know there's a lot at stake over here. <laughs> there's a lot at stake. People's lives are at stake, and whether their lives are at stake because of spread of the virus or their lives are at stake because of the financial fallout, or their lives are at stake because of the mental health challenges that are certainly going to be a big part of our society. Whichever way you play it, it's a very sensitive game that we're playing over here. So when people who are smart people appear to make decisions or make public statements that are not so smart, and, and there's a far-ranging spectrum of this concept, because Probably every one of us is thinking, about, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. I know exactly who you're talking about. Those people who have no regard for human life because of the way that they congregate. And then another person's thinking, I know exactly who you're talking about. You're talking about those people who don't appreciate that there's a need to keep our community whole. And we don't have to highlight every single um, upsetting story or every single breach and, and turn it into a big affair and, and drive people against each other. I think we've all probably got in our minds our own set of examples of who the intelligent people are who currently do not seem to be behaving in an intelligent fashion. It doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the fact that it is perturbing. It's disturbing when you find that people who are smart just kind of go with a convenient outlook and not necessarily a smart outlook. I suppose the difference between being intelligent and not being intelligent is the ability to look at things objectively and to be able to understand what is expected of us rather than what we expect 
of a situation. So these are the challenges, I think, that are knocking on our door. And uh, part of what I'd like to discuss during the course of today, and uh, because it seems that so many smart people are just not being so smart, maybe there's a way within the Torah that it helps us, that it helps us get our heads right. <laughs> because it's so easy to get swept up in popular opinion, and it's so easy to get influenced by a media article or a soundbite, and it's so easy to get caught up in the sensationalism of what people think, and you know what I saw, and you know what I heard. How do you actually keep your mind? How do you keep objectivity? How do, you, how do we know how to approach a situation in a healthy way. It's a very important conversation for us to have at any time. It is certainly important for us to have in the current circumstances just because at the end of the day, this is a difficult time. So you need a lot more effort, a lot more input, a lot more guidance, I think, just to keep your head straight. It's not, you know, it, when there's turmoil all around, it's not so easy to keep your head straight. So I think that's something we should talk about during the course of today. I would love to hear your views on it. I'd also like to point out today is a very uh, special day on the Chabad calendar. It is the 33rd Yorzeit of the Rebetzin Chayamushka, our Rebbe's wife, uh, a person who, although most people know very little about her, she was an incredibly private person. But if nothing else, a person who illustrated that principle of how to keep your head in the most turbulent times and, and just how important that is. So these are the things we're going to speak about today. I'd love to hear your input. 34519. That's our SMS line. You can also send a message via Telegram on 0618951019. And of course, social media at Chai FM or at Rabashish on Twitter. Chai FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, um, if you do have a thought on today's conversation, don't hold back. I'd love to hear your opinion, even if you think that it's possibly going to be just a little bit explosive. That's good. We like that kind of thing. 34519 if you're going to use the SMS line. Otherwise, Telegram 0618951019. Let's see if anything comes up through the social media channels. That's often where a lot of the action takes place. So... What are we talking about? I'd like to tell you a story. In fact, there's two stories playing on my mind right now, which perhaps would be an introduction to what we need to speak about today. I did mention that today is the 22nd of Shvat, the Yorzeit of Rebetzin Chaya Mushka, the uh, Rebetzin of Lubavitch passed away in 1988 on this date. And I I don't think we appreciate what it is to live through really, really tumultuous times. And I'm not for one second, for one second, um, downplaying the circumstances of what's going on in our world right now, because quite honestly, it's the roughest that almost all of us have ever been through. Cast your mind back for a minute. Imagine what it must have been like to live in Stalin's Russia. Okay, just picture this in the 1920s. Living in Stalin's Russia, it's really difficult for us to relate to it because most of the modern Jewish historical literature that we tend to read tends to be about the Holocaust. And we, we, because of that, we lose sight of the fact that in addition to the Holocaust, there was this horrific period of history for Jewish people in communist Russia, particularly in the height of Stalin's rules. And there was pervasive fear of the highest order, if you can well imagine 
So we're afraid. Let's talk open, open cards over here, right? We're afraid at the moment. Let's be honest. People are afraid. People are afraid to go to places where they might, God forbid, be exposed to the virus. People are afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow and will the economy still be standing. People are afraid of what's happening on the political landscape. People are afraid of what's happening in the world at large, uh, the, the strengthening of Iran. I don't know. People have things that we are afraid of. And some of those things affect us on a daily basis. Like literally, when you leave your house, you feel that the fear accompanies you. If you live uh, afraid of crime, for example, because you hear stories of crime. But I don't think any of that could ever give us a glimpse into what it was to live in the fear of Stalin's Russia. Uh, particularly as a, an observant, as a religious Jew, somebody who was committed to keep the shuls open and committed to keep the schools open and to keep the clandestine mikvahs operating and those underground Torah classes, any of which carried potentially a death sentence. And everybody, everybody knew that they were being tracked by the KGB. And everybody knew that wherever they went and whoever they spoke to, they could have exposed themselves at any given moment. And it was par for the course in the Jewish world that people would get picked up from their homes in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, whatever the case is, and be carted off sometimes to Siberia for incredibly long periods of slave labor and other times just simply never to be heard of again. And you cannot begin to imagine how many Jewish people, particularly communal leaders, were disposed of. They were murdered in cold blood by Stalin's forces. So the, the most frightening thing that could ever happen to a person would be if the KGB arrived, or as they call it, the NKVD, arrived at your door, particularly if it was sudden and unannounced, which it usually was. I, I don't think we can begin to imagine the level of fear that would be associated with that. Now, one of the people who was high up on the list of wanted individuals in Stalin's Russia because of his subversive activities of keeping Jewish networks alive and schools, mikvahs, shuls, Torah classes, etc. People who were qualified shoichtim to be able to slaughter meat according to Jewish law was the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, who subsequently, it emerged, was actually rated as public enemy number one. Now, that's not a comfortable position to hold in Stalin's world. And at any given time, they knew he knew, the family knew, his followers knew that at any given time that axe would fall and you know the, the cops would arrive, which was, was like the Gestapo arriving. And eventually it happened. Eventually it happened. And it was late at night and the previous Rebbe was uh, just you know finishing off having seen people. And the next thing, these NKVD officers arrived at the house and he was home together with his wife and his three daughters, one of whom is uh, Rabbi Tzanchai Mushka, whose your side is today. And they, the, the whole methodology, as you can well imagine, of the NKVD is to wreak havoc, to, to make people feel unnerved. You know, that's, that's the way that they operated. You use as much power as you possibly can just to weaken the resolve of the person that you intend to arrest or to prosecute. And so they came in and it was shouting and screaming and you know, making a big turmoil and a mess and so on and so forth. Now, at any minute, at that point in time, the uh, Rebbe's daughter, the previous Rebbe's daughter, Rebbe Tzanchai Mushka, was engaged 
to be married. And um, at any given time, her fiancé, which became our Rebbe, was going to arrive at the house, and he clearly would have been arrested as well. So here's an individual who, in the middle of all this turmoil, clearly taken by surprise with this long-standing fear and anxiety of exactly this situation, now has to totally surreptitiously get a message to her fiancé not to come home and, and to surreptitiously disappear. So in all of that chaos, very calmly, very calmly, the Rebbetson managed to get a message to our Rebbe to say, Schneerson, we have guests. In other words, don't come anywhere near the house. Now, that ability to be able to keep your mind is a very strong Jewish value. That ability to be guided by the intellect rather than to be convulsed in emotion is very much a Jewish approach. And it, it, it applies equally in an acute situation, like there, you've got an emergency and you've got like really, you're in a flap and you've got to keep your head. And it applies just as much and possibly even more so in a chronic situation where, let's be honest, we're all being worn down and it's taken time and it's nothing's really changed. And, and now there's concerns about how long will it take till the vaccine gets rolled out. And then you look over in Israel and you see that uh, some of the leading epi epidemiologists in Israel are saying, whoa, hang on a second, just having the vaccine is not the silver bullet. And we still have other issues to be concerned with because the vaccine will, predict, will, will protect individuals, but it's not necessarily going to stop the spread per se. And you start to think, oh my, oh my, are we ever going to get out of here? And it's quite normal and natural for people that when we're in a situation that we feel we cannot control and we feel that there's no way out, it's not an unusual psychological response to scapegoat people. Ah, it's those people. That's why things are not getting better. Now, we need to distinguish over here. Every person is responsible for their decisions. So if people make poor decisions and they do things, that's what I was saying before. You know, people who are intelligent people, but they don't do intelligent things. So if, if we find that, you know, people are doing things that are wrong, it's bad for them. It's bad for them. But it's so tempting just to scapegoat. So instead of being, you know, in the space of where I am and acknowledging what's going on in my life, sometimes it's easy to just say it's those people's fault. If those people would have behaved better, we all would be fine. <laughs> and I don't know that the science necessarily supports that, meaning to say, yes, of course, there are super spreaders. Absolutely. But they're super spreaders that come from very religious quarters and they're super spreaders that come from absolutely secular sources. So it's just, you know, everybody, I guess, decides you take a side and you choose who it is that you're going to scapegoat. Where actually what Judaism expects of us at a time like this is to keep our heads. And that's that's something we need to think about. How do you keep your head? How do you keep your head in a time that's really pushing down on all of us and depressing us to a certain extent and fracturing people in terms of their relationships and fracturing communities. You know, you take a community like ours, uh, the Jewish community is so united here in South Africa, and now there's a lot of uh, fissures starting to, to appear. You know, well, that shul doesn't keep the protocols, and those people are being reckless, and so on and so on. And that person got on a plane and flew back from Cape Town knowing that they had the virus. I mean, these things are all true, and they all have to be dealt with. But we've got to think a little bit about keeping our heads. Is this a time to be scapegoating, or is this a time to keep ourselves focused? All right, let's uh, let that sink, fulminate for a little bit. Meantime, nothing brings you back down to earth after the holidays, quite like a wallet full of receipts and slips where all the cash used to be.
Well, our insurance has an offer that will turn your post-holiday blues around. They could save you money on your car insurance every month. And if they can't, you can ask them for 500 rand cash. Claim free and with the same insurer for three years. Ask for 1,500 rand. So you could save or get cash in your wallet. This is what you've got to do. SMS out to 40251. SMS out to 40251. Our is a licensed insurer and financial services provider. T's and C's apply. SMSs are free. On the other hand, pick and pay. Know what hype have these wonderful pocket saving deals just for you. Pick and pay kosher whole roasted barbecue chickens are selling hot at 89 rand 99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher apple tarts, 31 rand 99 per tart. Pick and pay kosher cinnamon buns are a delicious 10.99 for a pack of four. Did you know that you can also get freshly checked and cut veggies from the pick and pay Nord Hyper Kosher Deli? Now you know. Try it. Take on these and many more specials in store. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Nord Hyper and only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Hyper Nord is the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. If you've just tuned in, we're halfway through the Fresh Thinking Show. You with Rabbi Shishler today talking about keeping your head when life has become tumultuous, when life has become overwhelming and I think many of us will feel this way it has become overwhelming concern maybe even fear about health about the spread of the virus worries about the uh, about the rollout of the vaccines concerns about what's going to happen to our children growing up not you know little little kids growing up not knowing what it is to have people without masks on their faces or kids who are at school in their formative years and they're told don't touch don't hug what's that going to do there's that kind of fear, fear about uh, about the economy, fear about politics, fear, fear, fear. I think everybody will agree that's quite an overwhelming time. How do you keep your head? How do you know what's correct and what's not correct to do at a time like this? How do you know if it's okay to get together with people? How do you know if it's okay to rat out those who are getting together with people? What are the rules of this game? How do you keep your head at a time such as this? Bearing in mind, it's a very Jewish thing that we say, Moyach Sholit al Halev Betul Dosoy. That the way God designed us, and in fact it's even reflected in the anatomy of a human being, is that our brain sits at the top of the entire system. So other creatures maybe don't have that. Their brain is on a par with the rest of the system because they stand on all fours. But we're, we're designed in such a way that the brain sits very clearly, markedly at the top, and the heart is quite a long way down, and that's seen in mystical teachings to represent the fact that the way we're designed is that God gifted us that our mind can control and must control our emotions. Now, that's easier said than done, obviously, but it is natural to us. That means that every one of us is capable of doing this. So every single situation that happens, let's just say for argument's sake, you see the front page of the Jewish report and you start to read, oh my gosh, look at this, there are shuls that are not complying with the, with the protocols, the COVID protocols. So you could have an emotional response to that and say, you see, this is the problem. The problem is the shuls. The problem is uh, Orthodox Jews. The problem is ultra-Orthodox Jews. And then you see that there was a funeral in Israel and you, you're seething because of what are these people thinking and how they're getting together. Now, all of that might be factually accurate uh, concerns, but 
but you have to test what's the response. Is my response coming from an intellectual place, an objective place, which effectively says, look, I, I really find it difficult to understand what these people are thinking. I have to ask myself a question if I'm being objective. Have I ever explored the other side of the argument? Because that, that's called objectivity. Um, but besides that, is my response coming from an emotional place? Am I looking for a little bit of scapegoating because I'm feeling so pressured so it's comfortable to say those are the people, the people who went on rage. They're the ones who started the second wave. You see, if they hadn't done it, if those, if those Jewish mummies would have told their kids not to go on rage, then we would all be fine. You know, it doesn't matter whichever angle you come from. Become emotional response is scapegoating to start to, to point fingers. As if to say, you know, if I was running things, everything would be absolutely perfect because, quite honestly, the particular standards that I've chosen for our, for myself, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have all chosen a particular set of standards for ourselves. So those are the right standards and everybody else is wrong and, and life is never that black and white. So how do you know? How do you know what the correct approach is? How do you know how you're supposed to think? How do you know um, how you balance the, the good, the bad, and the ugly? The acceptable and the unacceptable, whether it's unacceptable of others or whether it's the unacceptable of me, that's, that's I think, where we need to be looking. So what's interesting about this is that we should be having this conversation. Uh, it just worked out this way by Divine Providence because last week there was a technical issue and I couldn't get onto the, on air. So here we are and we're having this conversation and it's exactly at the same time that this week, this Shabbos, we're going to read the story of the giving of the Torah. And it's so fascinating because we all know the story and that's the problem. The problem is the stories that we know. <laughs> stories that we don't know, we're actually quite open to learn about. I don't know the story. Tell me about it. You know, The stories that we know, that's where we like kind of ah, heard it all before. Know the story. I've heard it a million times. I went to a good Jewish day school. I've celebrated Shavuot enough times. I know the story. It's simple. Mount Sinai, God comes down onto the mountain, there's cloud, lightning, thunder, big deal. Moses goes up the mountain, there's the booming announcement of the Ten Commandments, and after that, the Jews become Jews. And yes, of course, there's a little bit of a, a debacle down the line with a golden calf, but, but this isn't the parish that we focus on that. And we all kind of shrug our shoulders and say, I know the story, I know the story. It's nothing more to, nothing more to see here, thank you very much, move along, move along, nothing further to see here. And it's never that way. Because the whole reason we have a cyclic reading of the Torah on an annual basis, where we keep going back to read those same portions again and again, the entire reason for that is because each time we encounter the same story, we're supposed to challenge ourselves to say, so have I really understood the personal take-home message of that story for me? And even if last year, I really felt there was a beautiful, compelling take-home story for me. The fact that I'm back at this portion again this year means, well, maybe there's another lesson or a deeper lesson or a nuance to the lesson that I had already learned. So we're not reading history. It's not the time of the year where we say, okay, let us recall that there was a story that happened 3,300 years ago with a group of people that stood at the foot of a flaming mountain and they were presented then with a code of morality and spirituality to share firstly, obviously, with themselves and then with the entire world. There's something far more profound going on over here. And that's where we have to start to dig. We have to say, let's look at the story because everything a Jewish person is meant to think is meant to be guided by the divine code called Torah. 
Of course you're entitled to an opinion, and I'm entitled to an opinion, and everybody's entitled to an opinion. And we have to take our opinion with more than a grain of salt. We have to understand that our opinions are simply the result of our limited thinking. And you could be the greatest genius on earth. It doesn't matter. It's still limited thinking because at the end of the day, we're finite beings. And even if you're the smartest person in the room, you're not the smartest intellect that exists. You're just the smartest person in the room. So there's something to, to consider over here in this whole story. It's the giving of the Torah. That means to say that the code book, the guidelines on how you're supposed to live your life, those are beyond the human intellect. You know, there's a book called the Hayoim Yoim, the first publication that our Rebbe published. And it's a thought, an insight for every single day of the year. Today's thought was you get two types of laws. You get laws that are defined by society. In other words, society has to respond to situations, so we have to make laws for those situations. So you invent cars, you have to come up with rules for the road. If there were no cars, there'd be no purpose for those rules. And then you get rules that define society. And those rules are divine. They come from absolute authority. And therefore, they are always relevant. And that's what the Torah is. So if we ever want to know how to think about a particular situation, we need to look. We need to look in our own heritage, look in our own Torah, and start to see how we're supposed to think. So if you have any thoughts on how we should do that, what we should be thinking, please share them with us via SMS on 34519 on Twitter at Chai FM and at or on Telegram on 0618951019. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Sure, so funny or strange how things happen. And in that ad break, just got yet another, because they're coming from every angle, just yet another article about that orthodox representative who is being so careless. I think we're all doing this, unfortunately, uh, scapegoating somebody along the way. So what does the Torah tell us? That's where we've got to come from, right? What does the Torah tell us? The Torah says you've got to use your brain. It's a gift. Hashem gave you, a, God gave you a brain. You have intellect. You have to use it. It's really important. That's why you will find that in the Jewish world, particularly in the religious world, we spend an inordinate amount of time studying. Some people do it professionally all day, every day. And the rest of us who are holding down other responsibilities make sure that we learn every single day. I don't know how many societies encourage that, that you have to sit and learn. And I don't mean just to read scripture by rote on a daily basis. We are encouraged to learn, to sink our heads into very deep, complex academic texts like the Talmud or deep philosophical texts or uh, a, a very abstract mystical texts on a daily basis for a period of time every single day. That's what you're supposed to do every single morning. It's what you're supposed to do every single evening. So we're encouraged absolutely to use our minds, to think. That's what we're encouraged to do, to think, to question, to debate, and we're good at it. It's a legacy that the Jewish community, including people who are not necessarily religious, has certainly inherited the ability not to take things at face value, but to question. And it's healthy and we should do it. I was talking the other day to a good friend who is a leading medical personality, very involved in one of the COVID units. And he was saying, you just can't believe the stuff that's sometimes shared in media and has absolutely no scientific basis whatsoever. But we swallow it whole, right? Because it's the media, surely they've done their research. 
So that's the side of us that you've got to think. You've got to think. You've got to question. You've got to know. But there's another side to the story as well. And, and, and maybe to reflect that side of the story, it's quite interesting that the history or the backdrop to the story of giving the Torah is that there was a man who was Moses' father-in-law. And he was really impressed by things that he had heard. He had heard all kinds of wonderful things about the, the Jewish nation and what God had done for the Jewish nation and the miracles that he had performed. And he was moved by it. Now, here's an individual who at that time held a very prominent position in his society. He was a political, a political um, whatever it was in those days. I don't know what, what the positions were. He wasn't a king per se, but he was considered like a big minister in his home country of Midian. And at the same time, he was a leading religious figure, a pagan priest. So he had a lot riding on this, you know, if you're going to pack that all in and you're going to go join a nomadic group of people who've just escaped slavery and are now stuck in the desert, you really have to believe in this stuff. And he did. He really believed in, in that stuff. And he went off and he became Jewish. And that was like a big intro to the receiving of the Torah for a variety of reasons. But what's interesting about it, when you take a look at what really got him going what really got him going was two things in particular. He heard the story of the miracle of the splitting of the sea. And he heard the story of the miraculous military victory that the Jews had against the nation of Amalek. The only nation who had the gall to attack them after they had just exhibited this incredible miraculous uh, escape from Egypt. So there was something about those two things that got to him. And, and it's, it's trying to unpack what those two things represent that I think is going to be quite useful for us actually in, in trying to balance how we, uh, how we see the world in a world of COVID, in a world of distrust, in a world of uh, scapegoating, in a world of fear. So what, what did he notice? What, what are these two things? Just before that, there's an incredible insight from Maimonides where he says that the entire purpose of why we have Torah is because the world was created for the sake of people. And people are created for the sake of improving themselves. And there's two, there are two areas in which a person has to improve themselves. The one is wisdom and the other is character. And character you achieve through, through actions. So in other words, you behave in a good way. It eventually rubs off in your character and you start to shift yourself and you start to become more refined and you start to become what we call in Yiddish, edel, which people will call refined, but I think it's a more potent word than that. So he says, wisdom is to know that God is one. That's the ultimate wisdom. All other wisdom is just training. But the ultimate wisdom is to appreciate that God is one. It's that it becomes so real and tangible to you that it's, it's like 3D HD in front of your eyes. The fact that God is one. It's not something that you research in a book and the book still sits in yourself. It's like really, really part of you. So Yisroi, Jethro, this individual who comes and joins the Jewish people, he was an individual who had both wisdom. He was this world-leading authority on religions at that particular point in time. Rashi, the foremost commentator on the Torah, tells us that he was intimately familiar with every kind of religious practice that exists, which was all paganist at that time. And so he was this brilliant mind on the one hand, and then he was this powerful politician on the other, which indicates the, the power of character and, more importantly, the power of, of deed, what he could actually do with that power. And so those two facets that he had in his life, that's what he noticed that the Torah and his connection to the Jewish people would be able to upgrade and replace in a whole different way altogether. 
And, and here's what he noticed that's really important. And I think it's something we have to relate to in, in our current circumstances. Sometimes what you find is that people who are intelligent and people who are academic, because remember, he says one of the values, the Rambam, Maimonides says one of the values of Judaism is, is wisdom. Very often what you find with people who have a tremendous amount of wisdom is they become quite stayed, quite caught up in their personal philosophies and their personal ideas. The wonderful set of examples that uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a book called The Black Swan. So he talks about all these different examples of different people in different areas of life, politics, climate predictions, the economy, um, and, and how each in each case you often find that it's Dafka, the people who are the great experts, who are the ones who are unable to read what's going to happen next and unable to prepare themselves for the unknown. Very interesting. So that's what happens with wisdom. Very often with wisdom, people start to believe, I know, I know, I know, I know, what's, I know what's right, I know what's wrong. I know who's right, I know who's wrong. I have an opinion and I'm sticking to it. I've got a, you know, I'm a smart person. Do you know how many abbreviations I have after my name? That means I'm a really smart person and I really know what's going on. And the truth of the matter is that most people who make uh, comments with absolute authority don't have any um, abbreviations at the end of their name. So... What, what, what Jethro noticed, which was really fascinating to him and should be a guiding principle for us, is that real wisdom forces you into change. Real wisdom forces you to do things that are really uncomfortable for you to do, things that you may never have done before. So here's a man who lives the, the high life in, in his, home, his home country of Midian. He's respected, he has power, he has authority, he has wisdom. And now he discovers that Judaism is the way. So he could have very easily, there was no formal Beth Din that you had to convert through in those days. He could have very easily stayed at home and chosen to become Jewish. But he didn't. He realized that if I'm going to make this move, if I'm going to discover real divine wisdom, I'm going to have to make a radical step outside of my comfort zone. A radical step outside of everything that I believe I'm absolutely right about. And that's incredibly insightful. Something we really, really have to think about and take home, especially at a difficult time like this. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. And so this, I think, uh, what we've just been chatting about, that's probably our biggest challenge right now. And we're all in the same boat because it really doesn't matter which side of the argument you're on. It doesn't matter if you feel that the problem in our world today is those ultra-Orthodox Jewish people who are not conforming to COVID regulations, or if we're part of that community and thinking they are trying to shut down this is anti-semitic and they know they know you know and where's the science to prove it or whatever particular arguments they may have it actually doesn't matter where we find ourselves on the spectrum the story of jethro in this week's torah portion speaks equally to all of us because the story is that you only ever get to where hashem wants you to be to where god wants you to be 
Life is not about where I want to be. Yeah, of course I have places that I want to be. Of course I want to be right. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to be right? What do you think? Jethro, as this great world expert on all religions, wanted to discover that actually none of them were good. No, but he was open enough. And that was his greatness. He had that objectivity. He was willing to use his mind rather than an emotional response because an emotional response would have been defensive and say, what? It's not possible. Something must be wrong over here. It's not possible that the Jews actually had a revelation from God and this miraculous. Somebody's exaggerating the story somewhere. But he didn't take this emotional, knee-jerk, defensive kind of response. He took an open-minded response and said, you know what? Real growth, real wisdom in any situation is the ability to explore doing things that I don't feel are comfortable to do. So if you happen to sit in a particular group of people that feels, you know, those backward, primitive black hatters are the problem. Well, maybe then we have to move ourselves out of our comfort zone and learn a little bit more about their world. Like, what are they thinking? I, I, I don't even know. Well, what are they thinking? What is their motivation? Have they? Do they believe they've reached herd immunity? Do they believe for some reason that, learn? I don't know, whatever it is. I, I don't know because we haven't been there, right? And, and likewise, if you look around and you see maybe people in, in, on the streets of this country running around without masks, uh, r rushing to, I mean, you may or may not have seen the clip of the, uh, when the, one of the Tops spa uh, shops opened with, with alcohol after the lifting of the alcohol ban earlier this week. So these guys came with a marching band to buy alcohol. Now, just imagine for one second, if we're wearing a mask to ensure that we don't spray droplets when we talk, what do you think happens when a person blasts through a trombone? <laughs> so there we go. We can sit over here and, and discredit them and scapegoat them and say that's what's wrong with them or whatever the case is. The whole of life, the whole of being Jewish, the purpose for why we are here is to escape ourselves, to connect to things that are greater to, than ourselves, to connect to God who is infinitely greater than anything. That's our primary objective. And the way we do it is we step out of our comfort zone. Jethro realizes he could be as Jewish as the next guy by practicing all of the laws at home. And it would absolutely defeat the purpose because it's not worthwhile to think you're smart in your own space where nobody can really check you. It's only worthwhile to be smart enough to step out of your space to see a different perspective or more correctly, more importantly, to be willing to do things that you really don't feel ready or comfortable to do. To embrace people that we don't really feel comfortable to embrace. And I don't mean physically because you've got to have social distancing, but you get the idea. And it's absolutely clear. It's absolutely clear. And when we're willing to relinquish our personal view of life and be open to what lives out there, particularly what the Torah guides us, how we should think, how we should feel, how we should treat people in spite of their poor behavior, that's when we become a whole society. That's when we become healthy people. And that's when we get blessed by God, as we say in our prayers, God bless us when we are all as one. Let's hope that we can step past ourselves to connect to each other and bring a sense of oneness and unity and lots of bracha to us all. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Stay safe. And stay sane. Hi FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life.